welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Welcome back, everybody. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Aris. I'm joined here at the Worldview Leadership Academy. Joe Boot is with me, as we have been uh, together all week, which has been great. And we're privileged to be joined by Ezra Institute fellow Dr. Ted Fenske, who has uh, just arrived from Edmonton, and we're, uh, we're very pleased to have you with us. Ted, uh, today we're, uh, we're persisting in our series on uh, issues that are facing the church, and uh, you're, uh, we've asked you to be here today to touch on the issue of uh, what we're calling Christian care, uh, and that's, uh, that's dealing predominantly with uh, the, uh, the, the medical issues and the uh, issues surrounding health care uh, and uh, identity that, that have really seem, seem to have exploded in the past couple of years. And I, I got to tell you, uh, from, from the outside looking in, the medical world seems like a hard place uh, for Christians. I'm thinking of you know, doctors uh, being, being compelled to refer for abortion or euthanasia uh, the and even even those for whom it's not a uh, it's not a conscience issue for not uh, non-Christian doctors that just the the cognitive dissonance that uh, somebody must feel who's taken a Hippocratic oath uh, to do no harm and trying to decide whether to uh, whether do I refer this guy for do I try to save save his life or counsel him and refer him to uh, for a euthanasia um, appointment. Uh, I guess uh, what maybe we can start with what's it, what is it like uh, these days, and what maybe what to, what advice uh, might you have for Christians who are either presently in the the world of healthcare or who are who are considering it? Yeah, well, you know, coming out of COVID, uh, I think coming out, you know, just just coming out uh, in in Alberta, uh, we we just had our masks right. come off two weeks ago, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's been a long a long haul. And uh, in these these past three years, then have been a very difficult time to practice medicine uh, for a whole number of reasons. Uh, perhaps uh, you know the least of which was the actual virus, but uh, that it was an issue. There's no question, uh, and it, it was a concern. But uh, the the, uh, all the the all the other issues that came on top of it, as you're aware, you've been discussing here on, on your on your podcasts uh, over over the years, uh, have just compounded it and made things so much more difficult. Um, and so, uh, and not just practice medicine, although it's been tedious uh, in many respects, having to gown and glove and, 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 and uh, be slowed down, you know, to, in terms of our patient care and see the, uh, the whole system, you know, we just grind to this incredibly inefficient uh, mm -hmm. way. It was inefficient before, and, and, and COVID just made it even more so. Um, but to, to see the, uh, the uh, ramifications on the patients themselves and... Uh, and so that's been very difficult. Uh, you know, I, I'm asked to see patients for a whole variety of reasons as a general cardiologist. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, very serious issues, uh, uh, end-stage heart disease and the like. Sometimes more of a straightforward slam dunk kind of a problem, managing a blood pressure issue, for example. Uh, but even in, in, the, in these more straightforward cases, there'd be these layers of issues uh, because of uh, the pandemic, because of the separation from family, the vaccine mandate, the, uh, uh, the, the stress and strain, and, and just the general angst. Um, 
you know, just made things so much mm-hmm. more complex than for us. And so I would say that on one side, you know, it's been a demoralizing time in, in medicine, but on the other side, uh, it's just this giant mission field. It's, it's grown in front of us. Uh, and so I think, you know, as it is a, comment for would-be or, or uh, young practitioners in medicine or nursing or pa- the para-health uh, areas, I'd just be encourage you, you know, to, to do so. There's no greater time in my experience of 30 years of practice uh, of, of a Christian witness in, in the medical field as now. And so mm-hmm. the, the mission field has exploded, and I think uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a timely, it's a good time, you know, for, for a, a Christian to be in, in medicine. There's need for Christian care, holistic care, and what we're seeing is, you know, in medicine anyway, we're seeing uh, the, uh, the the doctor's role, which I was actually quite proud of, you know, when I went in in the 80s, um, and, and still I'm to a certain extent, but uh, it's mm-hmm. lost the, 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 the shine uh, in the, p- the profession, and, and I'm very, very sad to see it's become much more of a technician area, mm-hmm. and so uh, doctors are, are, are tech technocrats then and they, they, they have technical expertise they bring to it uh, and, uh, and they don't have necessarily although there's beautiful exceptions but they don't have necessarily the broader concern and and, and time then for for the broader issues which uh, these issues demand and uh, and so uh, it's it's been uh, an embarrassment especially when we see the, the abortion issue that's been there the whole time I've been in medicine, but then uh, on my watch to have euthanasia come and, and, and really take us by storm right. as a world leader in Canada of, of, of uh, uh, euthanasia. Mm. Uh, doctors says it's a suicide, a better term. And, uh, and then the, uh, the whole areas of how we've dealt with um, the, the gender issues as well. And, and, and the sh- it's shameful, really, how, how medicine is, has... Um, just embrace that and and then uh, cancel anyone who might you know say think or say otherwise and I was one of those mm. uh, uh, to be yeah. canceled yeah, on certain levels so um, but the bottom line is the mission feels huge and uh, the challenge will be of course getting into medical school or getting into the nursing programs I think there's a been a, a certain push uh, ideological push uh, in terms of the questions being asked to make that more difficult or more obvious if someone is right. a Christian and they're, and they're seeking to have a position. Self-select yourself uh, before you get before you get yeah. started. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that uh, that attitude though about the uh, you know, the fields are white for harvest. Uh, one of the uh, one of the recurring themes that we've uh, we've come up in, against in this series is that there is there is a, a need to uh, to run to the battle. Um, you know whether that's been in you know, evangelism or in legal defense or any of the other areas that there is there is a need for faithful Christian presence in all of these spheres. So I'm I'm encouraged to uh, to hear that uh, that kind of attitude, that kind of outlook. Uh, so you you mentioned uh, in passing the uh, the increasing issue of sexuality, and I'm not sure if I'm I'm sure it's not just me, uh, but I, I say that to us mention that I can't quantify it. There seems to be more, the, uh, the trans issue in particular seems to be more prominent in, uh, in recent years. And that's got to be, like, for, a, uh, for a physician, like male and female bodies need to be treated differently. You, your gender needs to be taken into account when you're, uh, when you're looking at a treatment plan or any kind of thing. Uh, how have you... Uh, what what have you been uh, 
needing to do, or how have you been navigating that issue? And I'm uh, I'm mindful again that uh, you mentioned the doc- doctor as a a technocrat and uh, less as a less so of a physician, more of a uh, you know, providing a service that a, that a customer wants. Um, Yes. Well, uh, in terms of the, you know, managing and being involved with the non-heterosexual community, uh, this has not been new. And so I trained in the, in the mid-80s uh, during the AIDS epidemic, and, and that, that's where I cut my teeth on medicine. And it was a brutal time to be in medicine at that time uh, and take caring for young men my age at the time, mid-20s, uh, and, and they had uh, AIDS, and they all died of AIDS, and they died during my care. And it, and it was a terrible time to, you know, because you have time to get to know these people, especially as a student, and uh, care for them as best you can. And we would, we would try to manage their infections, manage their cancers, their unusual cancers they'd get. And uh, everything we had was this pre-antiretroviral therapy. Uh, this is in the early days. We're just kind of understanding what, what, what uh, HIV was. And, uh, and so uh, it was a, you know, really, a, a, the mortality was, was 100% for, for in my experience. So um, in that time then, I, I was brought in uh, in a very um, intense way in, into the, that community in Vancouver where I trained and uh, in downtown St. Paul's Hospital there. Uh, and my, uh, it really opened me up to um, the struggles that they, that they were going through then and probably still going through now on a certain levels. Uh, and at that time, in the 80s, there's much more of a, a social stigma you know, around non-heterosexuality than it is today. There wasn't the celebration that we, we have today. We didn't have a pride season like we have now. And, uh, and so uh, there was some legitimate you know, um, uh, issues that they were, they, were, they were facing that were difficult. And I must say, um, my heart really went out to them. I, my heart was broken for them, you know, and I still have a, a soft part of my, in my heart for them. And so in terms of the, the management and the care of, of people in that, and they, they put themselves in this group. I, I don't label them this way, but the LGBT, uh, et cetera, um, letters, um, I, I, I have a real concern for them, and, and for good reason, because they actually have a higher prevalence of disease and, and trouble, and it's widespread uh, kind of issue, not just the sexually transmitted uh, uh, issue or HIV that we saw back in the 80s, but, but mental health issues, um, depression, anxiety, the uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, sexual abuse uh, stories, uh, prostitution, the homeless uh, issues are, are there. And uh, and also, you know, the background cancers and the like uh, that aren't aren't necessarily getting the same kind of surveillance because there is a, still a, a, a reluctance for for medical review. Uh, the, the people feel, I think, to a certain extent, less and less. But uh, uh, and so we have this disparity then, this health disparity, and I think it's less than it than it used to be. But still, uh, my primary role then uh, as a physician is to be an advocate, you know, and, and for all, all patients, uh, including the, these people, and they are particularly vulnerable people and and struggling. And so, um, so the mission field again, you know, is is uh, enormous. And, and if anything, it's it's gotten bigger uh, in in that area. Now the language has changed in how 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 the uh, official. Uh, medical uh, community uh, operates and, and the like, and maybe this, this is somewhat for the better, you know, in terms of welcoming environments and the like, so that there won't be um, a delay in, in treatments and surveillance. Uh, and I, 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 I'm happy with that. But uh, what's been more difficult for me, rather than caring for the patients, uh, is actually 
talking about the patients with my younger colleagues uh, and the students in particular. And they'll refer to, they'll, they'll you know, the, the, our routine would be they'll present a case to me. And it begins with an age and a gender every, every single time. That's how we speak in medicine when we're talking about a case, you know, 24-year-old male, 46-year-old female, whatever. You know, that's, that's how we begin. And the reason why we begin that way is it helps us frame in our minds what kind of problems potentially we could be dealing with. And as the story is unfolded before us, then we, we you know, as, as, the, as the specialist, we kind of get an idea, okay, I think this is what's happening, what's going on here. And so we're kind of forming our own, our own thoughts, differential diagnosis, we call it, as the story is being presented. And what's happening now is that I'm being presented, the age is correct, but the, the gender is not. And there's no, there's no warning. It's not, you know, we're dealing with a, a, a 32-year-old male transition to female patient, which is quite clear. Then that's, that's actually quite helpful to, to know that versus we're dealing with a, you know, such and such age female. And... Uh, or male, and, 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 and not, not giving me that, that critical <laughs> information about the transition because they have come to accept that if the patient has said that they're male or that they're female or whatever, that that's what they are, even though they know full well the, the, the background transition story. But that's almost like a, a part of the past history. You know, it's, it's, uh, and so it's, very, uh, it's, it's a dis- certain deception and when, we're, when we're trying to be uh, helpful to each other in our language and be clear, you know, and so it's like saying when every time I say right, I actually mean left, you know, and, and that's yeah. one way to make a, someone confused pretty fast when you start doing that kind of thing, you know, so there's a certain game playing then that's happening there. It's quite frustrating. It's really deep in, into the, uh, how, how the students are being taught to think. And, and this is a, an error because biology is biology. And, you know, you, your, your gender might, you might want to try and bend your gender, but you can't bend the biology. It doesn't bend, you know. It, it, it's just right down there to every single cell in your body is a male cell and, and uh, you know, versus a, a female cell or whatever. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a certain lie, you know. And uh, we have to, I understand that we have to be gentle and careful when we're talking to patients and, and, and the public perhaps about, you know, sensitive issues. But when we're talking to each other, about the care of that person, we've got to be clear what we're talking about here, you know, because there, there are differences. There's books on this in terms of the differences of, of male and female. Uh, it's not Mars and Venus so much, but there are certainly differences, you know, and we have to be aware of that. And they, they come to, they, 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 they have a bearing on the case. Right. right. You know, for sure. Uh, is there, uh, ha- having said all that, having acknowledged that uh, there's, you know, as a as a Christian, you see that uh, there these uh, there's a lifestyle a sinful lifestyle in play here, uh, but uh, you've you've obviously still got a, a professional duty of care to those people. You know, is there is there an appropriate and God honoring way to? Uh, I'm going to use the word dissociate. I'm, that's a you know, negative word, but to, to dissociate your uh, you know your Christian convictions from your medical responsibilities? Yeah. Um, well, I would say that the Christian conviction is the foundation for the medical responsibilities, and there would be no way of, of separating those two. And so uh, that, that being said, though, uh, we, we have to, uh, we approach these, these issues may, uh, with grace and truth intention. And so I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, uh, capitulate on, on biblical truth or the foundation from which, on which we stand, What's, what's reality, how we understand reality, uh, uh, but at the same time, 
there is ways of reaching out uh, with grace and, and with gentleness and winsomely. And so we're not going to beat someone over the head with, you know, my own, my, 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 my uh, Christian faith, but rather the Christian faith undergirds how I'll reach out uh, in care and concern for that person. So there isn't a, a disconnect so much, but, but rather there is a, a reality of tension for sure. Yeah, exactly. But because uh, uh, Jesus saved me, I, I am compelled then to, you know, love my neighbor. And, and, and this is, this is a, a loving of the neighbor. Not to, to agree in their lifestyle by any means, but to come alongside them in their struggle. You know, when we, when we watch television and we see the uh, portrayal of the LGBT community, they look like they're, they're the ones that have it all together. They're the funny ones, they're the well-dressed ones, they're the ones that you kind of admire and laugh with, and, and uh, you know, they're, they're, they're the cool ones, and the, the, the buffoons are the, are the, you know, the, the fathers or, or, or uh, whatever. You know, you know the stories I'm talking about. And, uh, and in reality, in, in my practice anyway, in, in seeing patients, um, you know, it's not the case. And so we're, we're, there's incredible brokenness that, that it's quite obvious we're, we're dealing with, and especially in the transition group. Um, and I've had to deal with a lot of patients who have had the transition go awry, and, and from a heart standpoint, and uh, and, and it's it's uh, so uh, so so tragic, really, to, to to see. But in those kinds of scenarios, when I'm when I'm with patients and and I'm presented with a uh, the, the brokenness, I will say, because it's just me and them. It's not me in front of uh, you know uh, uh, the, the government or whatever. It's me and them, and, and it's, so it's my it's my relationship with them. And it's a covenantal relationship. It's a confidential relationship, and I can say that sounds really hard. You know, what kind of supports do you have? You know, what, what do you have, who do you have around you? You know, and, and so they begin to describe that or describe the lack of that typically, and and I, I ask them, you know, uh, can I pray for you? And, and no one's ever said no to me in that scenario. Now. I don't say that to every single patient, but there are the there are the moments then because it's a it's a relational practice, it's a relational uh, profession. It's not uh, it should be a relation pr- profession, you know, and there should be a relationship developed. And so, within relationship, we can actually bring much of us t- to bear. So, commonly, I'll, I'll share stories of of how I struggle with this or that to try to illustrate how this could be helpful for them, you know, to try to encourage a medicine or try to encourage a procedure or whatever. Uh, I, can, I can draw from my own experiences, family, my personal health, and, uh, and likewise, uh, you know, my own struggles that I've had with identity, for example. And I often will say, you know, I, 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 for the longest time when I started medicine, my identity was my, my profession. That's who I was, you know. And then I tell them the story of how that went, didn't go so well, you know. And that we, you know, we need to broaden our our, our, our identity. Having a, putting an identity in a a thing that cannot cannot supply, you know, our needs uh, like a profession or like a, 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 a our sexuality. You know, sexuality is a wonderful part of who we are. But if that becomes who I am, you know, if I'm a swinger, that's that's my that's who I am. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Disappointment. You know, that's that's uh, that's a problem. You know, so especially when you get to be my age. <laughs> Uh, Ted, I've heard, actually both of you, Joe and Ted, I've uh, I've heard you speak on this theme of the the uh, the priestly calling or the priestly uh, role of the physician. Uh, you've you've mentioned that uh, the sort of uh, intercessory uh, part and the uh, the confidence that uh, that pe- people will take you into into their confidence 
the same way that they would a, a pastor or a counselor. Um, again, how, uh, maybe, and I'll open it up to, uh, to both of you, what to say more about that, because it's a, uh, it's a compelling kind of, uh, idea, uh, but there are, there are similarities, there are differences, uh, and there's, you know, there are responses that are appropriate for the, uh, you know, the priest that would be inappropriate for the physician and, mm-hmm. uh, and vice versa. Well, um, it's interesting, actually, the, the, this has been an area I've had quite a lot of interest in for some time, and I actually, I think I met Ted speaking um, at a conference um, it was gosh must have been 12 15 years ago now um and that's where our uh, friendship began and um you know uh being able to sort of watch uh, ted's work and career over many years um his work with students as as well as learning about his work with uh, patients and in medicine has been very helpful for me and he, as well reflecting theologically um on the issues but I, I was always fascinated by the history of the development of the idea of the Christian doctor in the West because it was actually originally theologians that were called doctors and it was um, pagans who were called physicians um, who were in the, 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 the medical um, profession. And there was almost a, a sort of... Uh, a sort of neo-magical kind of idea to medicine within the within the pagan world it was it was connected with you know gods goddesses of healing um and often when the chips were down um it was a difficult difficult thing to be a a, a pagan physician because you would be very much blamed if you weren't able to bring the healing gods to bear in a person's situation <laughs> and and uh and uh, that's right. and then you're in you're in significant trouble and so you often found that the in times of plague or or pandemic uh physicians would flee the cities because they couldn't do anything about it um and but but christians went into minister and the christian church grew dramatically and i think this is one of the biggest rebukes for the christian church actually over the last few years should have been that we basically, we should have recognized that we were reversing the entire history of the Christian approach to sickness when we locked ourselves away, fled from the sick. You never find a case in the Bible where Jesus flees from the sick uh, or the apostles flee from a sick person, not even a leper. Um, and the early church recognized that, and so they went into situations of of sickness and plague and they ministered to people and so over time as uh, homes for the elderly were opened by the early church even eye hospitals um uh, ted can tell us in a moment i think a bit about the development of nursing within the within the christian tradition as well um and so those that cared for uh the the body uh the, the became in the christian tradition doctors there was the doctor of theology who was concerned with your spiritual, your, the inner man, and then there was the, the 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 doctor of medicine. So going moving from the idea of a physician, who's kind of a, a physicist, trying to to uh, manipulate uh, by usually by magical means um, 
reality, the doctor becomes somebody who is caring for the patient, uh, the medical doctor, for the outer man. And the idea of a partnership between pastor or priest and, and doctor actually uh, developed. And uh, was one of the, the same idea that Ted mentioned about the confidentiality of the doctor's surgery. In a certain sense, when you go to your pastor uh, or your priest to deal with, to get some counsel to deal with a sin issue, you make a confession. You know, the scripture says, confess your sin one to another. And in that moment, you're exposed. And, and there is a confidentiality to the pastor's study um, to the uh, to the priest um, uh, and uh, parishioner, if you will, relationship um, that is a confessional. Uh, even within the Protestant tradition, you know, we shouldn't shy away from that. That was very much the Protestant tradition too. We confess our sins. In the same way, when you go to the to the to the the doctor of the outer man, you making a confession. Um, you have to open up about your your physical condition. Very often, you've got to remove <laughs> clothing as well, <laughs> and um, and that's a vulnerable moment for for people. So there's a, there's a physical confession going on there, and you've got that confidentiality. So in the Christian tradition, the idea developed that care, holistic care, was a partnership between pastor and medical doctor, and there was the idea of the family doctor. The doctor that knew your your family, the pastor that knew your family. There were pastoral visits. There were doctors' visits. This is what Ted is saying. I think when we've seen this gradual shift of that kind of idea of familial care to a sort of technocratic service provider, where we demand services from uh, experts, from 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 technocrats. Yeah, it's like the guy putting the flooring in. Right. Yeah. Who's the and and you know who's who's the best guy to go to on this one? I'll go there. But that sense of a, of of people that really know you and and your life and your your family, your community. Um, I think we've lost something significant there. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor, and he moved into an area. And I'm totally going from memory here, and I, forgive me if it's wrong. I think it might have been Kidderminster, but I, I could be wrong there. Um, and uh, he realized the town, he was a pastor, he realized the town had no physician, no, no doctor. So, so he studied medicine, <laughs> and he did both. Um, and so a lot of what I think Ted has described, as I was just listening to him there, because Ted's a very sort of pastoral, he made an excellent pastor, because he's got a very pastoral way about him. Um, the, 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 the doctor's office has increasingly become um, also a place because people have we've de-christianized they don't go to see that people don't mm -hmm. go to see their, their pastor they're not confessing their sin one to another in the life of the church mm -hmm. um, they're, they're you know the vast majority of people don't set foot in a church they've got no place to lay their sin and their guilt their anxiety their fear um, their moral, mental, emotional confusion, their identity confusion. You know, by the time you're going to today in, in, in basically the de-Christianized world with your, with your confusion about your identity, the techn technocrats uh, are just going to tell you, well, you know, here's a lifetime of surgeries you can enter into, and here's some, here's some chemicals that will, uh, will, will speed up the process and so on. Um, and here's how you can live a lie, and we can make it look roughly like you're the thing you say you are. Um, and, of course, you know, when, we, when we're sad now, 
we don't fundamentally ask ourselves first, what is the reason for my lack of joy or peace or happiness? Are there, what is the moral condition of my life that may contribute to that? We go to the physician and we expect the physician to give us pills that are going to make us feel better because we've lost the partnership between the the doctor and the pastor that that used to be there and so uh, that that idea of a christian vision of care has um steadily sort of faded from view and i think that you know ted has written on you know keeping faith in medicine um we published that book and um you know this necessity to to recover a distinctly christian view of of care of medical care and you know alleviating the average doctor you know lots of doctors now in britain anyway uh, leaving the profession um stressed overtired massively stretched because they simply cannot deal with all of the the things that the issues that come to them that aren't actually outer man problems uh and, and they that their inner person problems and the partnership's gone and so suddenly the doctor is loaded down with being priest so there but so that's not to say that the 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 the, the priest the, the priests and the levites in the old testament did both right. uh they were the ones who were caring for people the the outer man the the, the physical well-being they were the early doctors you know um, you had to show yourself to the priest. They examined skin conditions, you know, and um, we even have a prescription for the elders to, 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 to anoint people with oil. Some argue that that was not just a, a ritual anointing, but perhaps there is a medical There's practice a, involved. A healing there. property there. Yeah, we know that Luke, of course, who wrote the book of Acts, was a physician. Of course, he was fascinated, of course, and wanted to report on all the healings that were taking uh, place. Um, so there is a there's a long-standing view uh, in the Christian tradition that this is central to the Christian life because salvation, salve, means wholeness. Right. Salve, healing, to, to apply a salve. And so Christ's miracles of healing point towards the full restoration of all things, which is what the, the priestly function of the doctor, harking back to the priests and the Levites, is fundamentally about the issue of salvation. It's, it points us towards, it's the, it's the early fruits of in the obeying that commission um, of total healing and wholeness that will be ours in the resurrection. And uh, on the way to resurrection, uh, we're commissioned in terms of the kingdom of God to bring wholeness and healing wherever we go. And so I've always been fascinated by this particular connection between medicine, um, theology, and the Christian mission um, uh, in the world. And, you know, you can see how when people lose interest in the death of Christ, we soon, those cultures start to lose interest in the care for the life of man. And it becomes easier to say, shall we switch you off? Do you just want to end it? Do you just want to kill yourself? Maybe, maybe that's your, maybe that's the best thing you should do. Um, and you know, we're killing the young in the womb and the generation that, uh, kills its young will be killed by its young now it appears and so once we lose sight of the healing work that's going on there in the atonement um we start to distort our view of of this issue of uh, of restoration and medicine starts to lose its way into this technocratic arena that actually becomes about expediency and um what's your simply about the patient's choice 
Uh, and then we even start to expect physicians not only to, to become executioners, but to in- even encourage people to take those sorts of, uh, of paths. Mm-hmm. Well, there'd be a strong temptation, I'd expect, on the medical uh, side uh, towards reductionism. You know, if you if you can't, if you're not equipped to deal with uh, the uh, the inner man, as Joe's described it, uh, with the realities that there is the sin and guilt and confession and repentance are uh, are are a reality of life, then these like these things manifest themselves in physical symptoms. That's right. And there's, so, a, yeah. there's a real temptation, I'd expect, to. Uh, to look yeah, at the symptom. And well, it's very important, though, uh, that we are able to reduce down to the, the particular. Uh, and uh, sure. And so, uh, you know, if you come in with a particular problem, um, the medical thinking will allow us to get down to that particular issue, the left forefinger, you know. And, that's and, fair. You know, so so what, what is the issue? But the, and the mistake that's being made currently in our current contemporary medicine, we get down to the particular issue and we leave it there. Period. Hmm. Rather than realizing that that issue, that forefinger on my left hand, is part of a, a, a whole person, and there's ramifications about that. Maybe I play the violin. Maybe, maybe there's other issues with this. You know, it's, I'm just using this as an example, but um, we have to be able to recognize the particular medical, uh, uh, biological issue, and then and but, but see it in in the total person of their their total care. And, and not just, you know, so if, someone, if I'm asked to treat someone or help manage someone's blood pressure, fine, you know, of course we can do that element, but recognize maybe the blood pressure issue is because of other things, and it sits in the, in the bigger person of, of all of their issues and, and all of the medications, all of the troubles that they have. And so one has to have a broader understanding and a broader appreciation of the f- whole person. And so that's why a holistic approach is is critical for us. And it's much easier just to say, okay, look, I'm just going to deal with one problem at a time. You know, so you you come in, you can only tell me the one problem you want me to deal with today, and then and that's it. And and this is commonly done in, in GP's office, you know, family doctor's office, the one place in medicine where you know there should be a general a general you know, approach to things, and they just also want to bring it down and act like the specialist, so to speak. You know. And, uh, and it's very easy for me as a specialist to be able to waltz in and say, this is the issue, and then waltz out again, you know, and just leave it like that. And I'll get paid, and, and I did my job kind of thing, but it's pathetic. It's terrible medicine. And, and, and it, it leaves the, the, the opportunity, well, uh, in my view, the mission field is gone, too. It hasn't been addressed at all, but to recognize that, that, that there's a bigger, fuller, a more beautiful uh, 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 person in front of you than just that particular problem and to be able to uh, recognize the, the fullness of the person and, and treat the whole person. And so I think that that's a, a critical problem with reductionism, which medicine does and now it, you know, it leads itself to. So it's, it's a good technique, but we can't be bound by it, if you know what I mean by that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've just seen a good illustration of that to very problem, you know, again, referring to the last two or three years where hmm. there was a virus around. Okay, Vi- viruses are, are a factor in human health. And, uh, you know, we, we get them all the time and, you know, our, our immune systems have to grapple with them and deal with them. We're exposed to viral material, we're exposed to bacteria. And um, that was a challenge for the medical profession to deal with a novel coronavirus. Um, then unfortunately in a reductionist way the the state 
waded in. Um, and uh, I think, unfortunately, at times with excessive support from many in the medical community, mm. and said so started to treat human beings as though the entirety of their health was tied up in the avoidance of that virus. Mm. Um, and that only if that virus and, and that, that the priority now for human well-being was the avoidance of that particular virus. And so the other elements that are central and critical to human health, sociality, for example, economic well-being. Um, we know that you know job loss, financial hardship, poverty is one of the biggest killers in the world. Um, we know that people who are deprived of sociality, of of social relationships, their health rapidly declines. We saw we saw mental health uh, problems go off the charts, mm -hmm. delayed uh, development of children, educational delay. Yep. The, the the ramifications of that of three years of delayed learning, e even a child not being able to see the face. That's right. That was a big people, one. That. huge uh, developmental delay and the the retardation of learning then the economic social implications of that are going on and on and on and of course the, in britain the the health service became the covid service right mm -hmm. so yep. you had mass cancellations of all kinds of other appointments so now we've got terrible problems with uh, heart issues strokes undiagnosed cancers, all these things. So instead of thinking holistically, as Ted was saying about the health of the whole person, we started to reduce people to one element of health, biotic health. Right. But human health is much more complex than that. And I think that's, uh, I don't want to put words in Ted's mouth, but I think it's part of what he's saying. I think that's an illustration of it is that, okay, I've got a broken finger, but what are the other implications of that for that person's life? If, again, if, you, if they play the violin, um, you know, if, uh, if somebody is a, um, uh, is a singer and, and they've got nodes on their vocal cords and so on, um, and they're, they're losing their career and there's so many things then that are going to come into to play that we need to be thinking about um in terms of the health of the well-being and the health of human beings mm. it's much more complex than just i've got this one technical problem that this expert is going to try and treat me for mm -hmm. is that fair ted yes very much so and you know during covid it was you know person's covid positive covid negative that was the differential diagnosis medicine was reduced to an algorithm A or B, you know, and this is a, this is not non, non thinking is going on there, you know, and, uh, and unfortunately, it's hard to bring back in then a robust approach to the mm -hmm. complexity of the human being when people have been trained in, is it A or is it B, you know, and, uh, and so that that's been a real challenge as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Ted, we've uh, we've mentioned uh, your book, Keeping Faith in Medicine, uh, which I heartily commend. But uh, what for? We we started talking about some of the uh, more more conspicuous issues. Uh, so the uh, questions of abortion, euthanasia, doctor-assisted suicide, and uh, trans issues. Uh, what what kind of uh, what kind of resources are out there for people who are who are struggling with uh, with these things, or maybe they've uh, they've participated in these sins before and they're they're feeling caught up in it in it yeah no it's it's a good there, there's there's uh, uh those are a lot of different different issues you know i don't think there's one necessary one resource that would cover all of that uh, <laughs> although my 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 little book tries to uh, on a certain level but uh 
Uh, I know uh, I've been helped uh, by uh, Mark Yarhouse and Joe Dallas, uh, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, in terms of the, the LGBT uh, issues and how to how to approach that. Uh, seeing the complexity of it from a, from a person's standpoint who's struggling in that area, and uh, McHugh and, and Meyer uh, in the New Atlantis in 2016 came out with a sexuality and gender paper papers, three of them, spectacular review in detail from a medical standpoint, and and not just medical, but the the medical social elements of that very complex issue, a tremendous resource uh, to to for for anyone uh, and and uh, to be able to access uh, on online there uh, for free and uh, so those would be to, to address the, that issues in terms of the um, the uh, uh, euthanasia and abortion it's uh, it's really abortion is in so many people's mind a non-issue anymore and uh, and that's part of that's the issue now and in my, my view and euthanasia is becoming that now too mm. and and uh, and so um, I, and I'm very concerned because as the um, existential suffering has been magnified through COVID, and and, and still still growing, it's, it hasn't stopped. Just because we, we took our masks off, the existential suffering, the mental illness, all these things that Joe mentioned, are still there. And uh, this will take uh, decades. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure if we'll ever see it change, but I guess in mm-hmm. time. But um, uh, so those those problems are are, are very much uh, are there. And and now we have a solution, which is just so expedient so pragmatic mm-hmm. to end someone's life it's mm-hmm. just unbelievable cost savings right and when when this was first being discussed before it, uh, euthanasia was legalized in canada i was criticized for bringing that up as, as, as a concern canada canadians would never never do that we're we're, we're doing that this, this is part of the thinking mm-hmm. uh, what's going on here medicine's incredibly expensive there's no possible way we can afford it and and now this is a, this is a possibility here. And actually, our trainees are being taught to ask patients, "Have they thought of it?" So it was, and I didn't agree with this either. But it was that you'd never mention euthanasia unless the patient brought it up, and then you are you are obligated to talk about it. You know, and, that, and they made that as a mandate. You, know, you must. And um, there's ways of doing that, of course, that I discussed in my book. But um, now they're being encouraged to actually bring it up. So you come in with your arthritis, Ryan, you know, and, and I say, hey, it's looking like a, you're having a hard day there. You know, have you thought of euthanasia? I mean, this is part of the thinking now. This is this because this would be a really expedient way of dealing with your arthritis mm-hmm. forever. <laughs> anyway, lost appointment. That's right. So uh, it's it's very sad, uh, and we, we're seeing that on the other end of the spectrum too now. So, for example, in the in the neonatal area now, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the preborn area. So it's not just abortion, but then which, shall we euthanize the child who's born with this defect or, or what, what have you? They don't have the potential necessarily to walk and talk uh, as we thought they might. And so, you know, there's that uh, opportunity now for us to euthanize a, a baby now we're talking about. We're not talking about a clump of cells, as people would always claim. Oh, if it's a clump of cells, you know, what, what's an abortion really, you know? But no, no, we're talking about a baby in your hands, you know, that's crying and needs to be fed, you know, in every, in every uh, uh, regard, a, a human baby we're euthanizing. And so this is the concern then, that the euthanasia 
uh, when, when it gets accepted on the one end of the, of the age spectrum, it will become accepted on the other as well. Yeah, there's and, no uh, logical stopping point, no, right? If you're no. outside of the bounds set by God, like mm-hmm. there's... It's just a, a, a line in the sand. And you can say, oh yeah, no, we'll never move, move that line in the sand, and it gets moved. Yeah. It's moved and moved and moved and moved, yeah. yeah. That's worse. That's why it's in sand. Mm. Well, Ted, it's been uh, it's been great to have this conversation. It's been, it's a sobering conversation. Uh, it's uh, it's been heavy, but uh, again, take us back to uh, to where you kicked us off. the uh, The time has uh, has never been more important for for Christians to to be uh, active and vocal and excel in uh, in the field of medicine. We're very grateful for all of your uh, your tireless efforts there, and for the uh, the time that uh, we've been able to have together here. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation. Dr. Ted Fenske, Dr. Joe Boot, thank you for being here. We remind you that from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. May God be glorified, and we'll be with you next week. <laughs>